Well, guys, welcome back to the Hunt Backcountry podcast. This is uh, going to be a part two of our discussion on our recent Kodiak hunt um, from November. So joined again by Steve and Jake. How are you guys doing today? Doing fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> Doing pretty good. <laughs> so in the, the first podcast, if listeners somehow are listening now and didn't catch that, we talked more about our hunts, our experience, told some of the stories. And this one's all about listener Q&A uh, that came up about hunting Kodiak and anything related to that. So uh, we'll kind of move through some questions. A lot of them are somewhat interrelated. Um, there's definitely a lot of common themes in the questions that came about, but we'll dive into those here in just a second. But first of all, on the previous podcast for Kodiak, we mentioned that we were getting ready to have our once a year sale uh, from EXO. And that's wrapped up now that we're on the other side of Thanksgiving. Uh, I just want to give a quick thank you to everyone for that. It uh, it went well. We appreciate the support. Um, things are caught up and shipped and life's a bit back to normal because it was a, a crazy handful of days there getting getting all that shipped out for you guys. So it was all hands on deck. Steve, I know you're out in the warehouse shipping and putting in some long days yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, uh, it was just awesome team effort and we cranked through it. And I think a matter of four days, four or five days, got everything shipped and yeah, it was, it was awesome. If guys are somehow listening to this and happen to be uh, wondering about any last minute stuff for Christmas gifts for either themselves or buddies or what have you, um, basically, I would say order before December 14th, essentially, uh, if you want to do flat rate shipping, and that should get there by Christmas, but there'll be more information on that if you guys want to check it out uh, in our emails as well as on the website here shortly. But let's get into Kodiak. Um Again, a lot of these questions are going to be interrelated. Let's start with this because it's going to funnel into a lot of topics. When should you go? So you can go hunt Sitka Blacktail on Kodiak essentially August through December, which is obviously a huge window. And you're going to have a vastly different experience if you go in August versus December or even September versus November, for example. Um, we have only gone in November, so that's our context, which we'll speak more to. Um, but I've definitely looked at going earlier, have friends who've gone earlier. Um, again, they're totally different hunts to kick it off. Steve, what are the things that come to mind for you? If you're thinking on call it an early versus a late hunt for blacktail and Kodiak, you know, I think for me, and I don't know if this would apply to everyone, but a, a lot of it's just scheduling around other hunts because this is just such a, a huge range of, you know, four or five months there that you can go, um, August, September, October, yeah, five months, um, that, uh, it's, you know, you just got a lot of variables there to play with. Um, and it just depend on what else I wanted to hunt that season or what other tags I had. So, uh, the, like I said, we've only done November, the early August, sounds like a blast you get flown in get dropped off at a lake and and i'd be really tempted to go hunt those with a bow uh and then you know september and october are less appealing because there's so many other things to hunt down in the lower 48 for me that uh then november becomes the next option where you a you get a timeout with the rut and there's less hunts going on for me yeah that's a huge logistic uh consideration is if you go early you want to get flown in, dropped off at a lake and essentially start high and stay high. You don't want to do what we did in November and hunt either from like a lodge or from a boat 
and be starting at the shore and trying to get up into the alpine where the deer at that point um it's pretty terrible busting brush and gaining elevation from the shore in november uh it would be pretty dang unbearable to do that when everything's truly greened up in august or september so think through the logistics of that i know lots of guys who have done the august bow hunt or whatever from a boat um but like you said i think most of those guys would do more of a backpacking trip they'd bust through the brush once get up there spend a couple two three four days up there and then come back down yeah. uh, which that, that would be more feasible but if um yeah i think just getting flown into a lake makes a lot of sense yeah um that ties into, you mentioned it there briefly, Steve, bow versus rifle. Uh, we got some questions the first time we went to Kodiak on what were we personally packing, bow versus rifle, uh, and we had taken rifles. We had talked about, man, if we come back here in November, it'd be so fun to hunt this with a bow, but all of us had rifles again this time. Um, so talk through that a little bit. You mentioned earlier that if you were going to go in August, you'd be tempted to do it with the bow. Why did you choose to go rifle again this time for November? Hmm. Um, I, I think this for this trip in particular is because I, I, a, I wanted to kill some deer, but B, I also wanted to spend just as many days, if not more fishing. Uh, that was the, one of the cool advantages of going with the Foxtail Lodge is you can really just, you could fish, you could duck hunt, you could hunt. Um, and so just being able to tag out quicker sooner rather than later and then get deer meat and then go fish the next day and be kind of more, I'll say relaxed, right? Like, oh, all right, I got my deer, one of my deer tags filled. Now I can go fish and have some fun and then come back and hunt later uh, versus being, you know, a hundred percent, like just dedicated to the bow and maybe giving up fishing days for that. Um, and then uh, it just sounds like a really fun August bow hunt to me. Like it'd be fun and challenging. I think I've just seen some pictures of guys up there in the you know at the tops of the peaks on these big grassy hillsides and carrying a bow in hand and that just uh now yeah, it's definitely something i want to do someday yeah did you consider bringing a bow for this trip at all jake um a little bit <clears throat> i know there was a couple other guys that were wanting to do that <clears throat> and going into it or <clears throat> not knowing anything about it it was just a safe bet to uh bring a rifle i definitely think there are some opportunity to uh, harvest them with a bow. Like for instance, your last day or the last day of hunting, when you shot your buck, mm -hmm. I, I don't see how you couldn't have shot it with a bow. Um, you know, so if you run into that situation where you're still hunting, you can definitely, uh, get close, uh, in archery range, but having the rifle just, um, you know, made it easy and, and, you know, not much of a worry. Yeah. I think overall bow hunting makes a lot of sense early. Um, you know, it's much more, um, doable to spot and stalk. That said, the bow hunting late can be good because deer are up and moving. They're somewhat lower potentially, um, not all of them. Um, and you'd be more still hunting for the most part than spot and stalk. Because even if you do see a buck that's higher um, and you spot them from you know 600 yards, right? They were moving pretty good, and so the chances of them staying in the position. Um, like they would in the early season where they're just on a more feed bed pattern. You have to realize that later they're up and cruising. And so, yes, you can bow hunt. It's just, it's not really spot and stock that at that point, it's more um, still hunting or ambush hunting um, and lower. So either one is doable. Um, and that is the great thing. We talked about five months of the hunt. It's also the same, same season it's bow or rifle uh, for that entire time. And so you don't have to go, 
uh, with one weapon or the other based on the time that you're going up there. You really have all those options available to you at any time. And it's also the same tag. So if you work it out logistically that you want to bring both, then you certainly could do that as well. They're not separate tags. Um, speaking of bucks being high versus low, a question came through that said, are the bucks still above the brush or moving down? Um, yes, is the answer to that. <laughs> um, I think, you know, we even had our trips, the Steve in 2019 and then this past year in 2021, we were only there early to mid November, both. I think the trips were maybe five days apart from the start date and end date of each other comparing the trips. Um, and weather was obviously much different and we had a different experience accordingly, partially because of weather. Um, what are, how would you answer that question beyond? Yes. Elaborate. <laughs> yeah. I think the first trip, the guy JD who had like referred the hunt to us and we had, you know, picked his brain obviously about the hunt. I think when he, he came and I don't know, 2018 or something like that. And the vast majority of the deer were down low. Um, and in the kind of flats of this area, I mean, all, you know, depending on where you're at on the Island, this could all vary, uh, right. Sometimes it's just straight up from the beach. This particular area we're hunting kind of has like this half mile to three quarter mile flat area before you start climbing up the mountain. And, uh, so yeah, he was just getting bow hunting through all that and there's bucks everywhere. And then when we went, we spent our whole first day down in the flats, basically based off his recommendation and we're having a tough time finding the deer. And then it wasn't, Till I think day two that we finally like, well, we didn't see deer day one. Let's bust all the way through the brush and get up higher where we can see better. And that's when we started seeing deer this trip. We had all that snow and they snowed like a couple of days prior to us getting there snowed while we were there. And there was definitely bucks high and low, not high, but mid mountain and low. Uh, so it was, it was kind of cool. Cause you could just do whatever. If you, you know, had the rifle in your hand and you wanted to get up higher where you could have more opportunities for shots just because you can see further you busted through, uh, that last day, Cody really wanted to shoot a buck with his pistol and like, all right, clearly the strategy today is stay in the flats and still hunt through this stuff. Um, so it was, it was unique and or cool that we had that had both really on the menu for this hunt. Yeah. And I, I could imagine it maybe if you went a week later, everything kept pushing down lower and they were all down in the flats. I don't know. So I, it's probably just weather dependent and, uh, rut dependent on what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a question as well on, on dates that are best for the rut. And really it's that early to mid-November as a generality. Um, there's definitely, um, you know, there's obviously, there's always variance to that. And you always have factors like weather, as we just talked about pushing deer around. But um, November essentially is the ruts. And then obviously you can always have some exceptions um, to that of kind of a late rut. Um, but you're looking at that early to mid November period, roughly, um, for the ruts it's, you know, it's, it's always interesting talking about the rut, whether we're talking about elk or deer, cause I'm the more and more that I've seen and experienced and learned, I feel like there's just, there's cycles to that. Even in take one week, there's just those days that for whatever reason, deer elk are up moving more and then sometimes it dies down for a day or two. Um, and obviously it can depend on, uh, does in this case as well of what's in the area, but in general, you're looking at that time frame of November. Um, yeah, going back to them being high or low. I mean, it really, I can even think of the day I shot my first buck on this, on this last trip, we were 
essentially call it mid mountain. Um, and I shot a buck below who was down in the flat. Um, but not too much before that we were almost shooting a buck that was way up the mountain. So we were literally at that midpoint roughly, and there was bucks all above us and there was bucks below us. And, um, yeah, it just is, is going to be really variable, um, based on factors for sure. They're <laughs> it's Kodiak. They're kind of almost everywhere. <laughs> um, let's see. So there was questions on, were we hunting guided or unguided? Um, and it's an unguided hunt. It's essentially, we had the guys at Foxtail Lodge as a transporter. Um, and that's probably something worth talking about for guys who are newer to Alaska. Um, that in one sense, we were hiring the guys from Foxtail Lodge for lodging and transport, but they're not hunting guides. And so there's certain things that they can do and that they can't do. Um, not being hunting guides, they can't tell you where to go hunt or literally guide you in a hunt. Um, they can't really handle or process your big game. Um, they are fishing guides. So when it came to fishing, they were very much saying, all right, let's go to here. Let's check out this area. And then they were very hands-on with, um, processing the fish, but we, it's an unguided hunt. And then there was questions on, would you suggest doing guided if it's your first Sitka hunt in Alaska? Um, so obviously related there. And I don't, to be honest with you, I haven't even looked at guided options and I don't see them come up too much. I'm sure that they exist. Um, but this is a very doable DIY hunt, even if you're not super experienced either in hunting, honestly, or even in Alaska, like there's definitely some variables you have to consider and you have to take it serious. But from the hunting perspective, um, it's a great place to just go and get experience and don't feel like you have to go guided. Um, how do you look at that, Jake? I mean, it was your first time up there. Obviously you were with some guys that had experience up there prior, but, um, coming back from it on your first trip, do you feel like it's a doable hunt for guys for their first trip to Alaska in particular? Yeah, 100%. I definitely don't think you need to think about doing a guided hunt by any means. Um, I think after, after you get the hang of it, after a day or two, you, you can really just pick apart, you know, kind of the hunting style and how the deer are moving around and interacting. And, um, it's really easy to just kind of get a quick hang of it and, and study the deer. So, I think just going in unguided is pretty popular and, and going guided. We really don't need to. Yeah. What to, from a purely hunting standpoint, Jake, what are some of the things you feel like you kind of learned or were reinforced that you experienced um, from a hunting, call it skills perspective? Um, oh man, quite a bit. I mean, that was the cool thing about hunting for me personally, just being able to hunt with, you know, hunted with four or five different guys on that whole trip. So it was really cool just to, um, learn, learn some other guys' tactics. Um, but I think the biggest thing, you know, is just glassing, uh, having the patience to just sit, sit behind glass. Um, that was one of the biggest things. And there's just quite a few other ones off the top of my head. I can't really remember. It's a little early in the morning for me. <laughs> um, but I mean, trying to think from, a Oh, I don't know, man. Um, you're, you're, let me, let me, let me get back to you on that one. <laughs> All right. We'll circle back. <laughs> All right, perfect. Um, 
anytime you talk about Kodiak, bears are always going to become part of the conversation. We had a lot of questions on, did we see bears? Did we encounter bears, et cetera? But there's one specific question that um, was a good one to talk about as you're talking about November. And a guy asked, did you have any issues with bears on this hunt in particular? All, or are they all hibernating by now? Uh, which is a good question to ask at what point, you know, if you go late season into a hunt, do you have to be concerned with bears? And at what point are their activity dying off or maybe potentially they're denned up? Um, Steve, you kind of saw some of that taking place really, right? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, we did. Uh, I know Rafe, uh, one of the guys up there from Foxtail Lodge, he is a bear guide. Uh, so he's very knowledgeable on bears. And uh, with that early snow, you know, early November snow that they were getting, they were, he was sitting there just like, man, any day now, the, the sows and cubs are definitely going to be taking their, you know, the sows are going to be taking their cubs up high and denning up here pretty dang soon. And then it, he kind of made it sound like the boars, you know, um, aren't going to, it's not super consistent, right? Like the, the, in the middle of the winter, sometimes they get out of the den and go roam around and stuff like that. So, um, but it, it sounds, I'd say if you were really scared about bears, uh, the later, the better, right? Late November, maybe into December, everything's denned up. But I think the hunt becomes um, a lot less sporting, right? <laughs> like if, if they get bad weather and the deer are literally living on the beaches, uh, it's more of a, you know, rounding up cattle, shooting them type hunt. Uh, just from what I'm guessing, maybe that's not the case. But um, And then, yeah, I mean, the bears are there. It's just something you have to be aware of, but at the same time, you know, I, I think it's probably, we've all, all had it for our first trip, you know, just like a, um, an unrealized, um, you know, not being on the ground, you just kind of fear the worst and, uh, they're just, yeah, it's just not bad. So, I mean, the first trip, we didn't see a single bear this time. We saw lots of bears, uh, between all the, you know, at five groups of guys out hunting at any given time. Um, we were covering a lot of country and and we saw, I don't know, at least a dozen bears that week did have Jeff and Justin were packing out a deer and had a bear. I mean, it was more, they were just walking into where the bear was living and, and had a bear at 20 yards, but uh, you know, kind of yelling at it and one pistol shot later it ran off. So I think as long as you're just um, yeah, not an idiot and aware, it sounds like the uh, talking with Rafe, the, really the biggest issues that are going to pop up are, uh, when you're dealing with meat, right? Like if you kill a deer and maybe, um, maybe you process it or maybe like, ah, oh, let's mark it on the GPS and we'll come back and cut it up in two, three hours. Well, you come back and come back to it and you come back upwind or something like that, where bears are not going to smell you coming. Uh, then that could be bad, right? You could walk right into a bear that's feeding and want to be protective, um, so you just really, if you kill something you want to get on it fairly quick, cut it up, pack it out. We were conscientious. We all used exo dry bags to put the meat in every time we killed something so that we're keeping the pack clean so that we're not, you know, don't have these really bloody smelly packs after a few days of packing deer, which that's really, really nice to have. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's really on this trip. I was much, much less concerned, you know, as 10% is concerned about the bears as I was on the first trip. Yeah. And even though we had more experience and encounters with them this trip, it still was like, yeah, it was just almost reassuring in a way just to get some more time up there and be on the ground and then understand that yes, they're there, but it's, you know, I had this like vision in my head. <laughs> you, you talk about, we talk about all the time, like you kind of picture your fears and envision your fears or, 
even pack for your fears in terms of gear. But like, I remember going to the first trip is you hear guys talk about, Oh man, when gunshots go off, it's just the dinner bell. And so I'm picturing like we shoot a deer and bears come circling in or we're packing out a deer and that scent is carrying for hundreds of yards. And then you have a deer stalking you, you know, it's just not, yeah. Don't think that way. Don't be that concerned. Just be aware. I was certain I was going to freaking run into one when we were packing out in the dark. That was, was going to ask you about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was for sure. I thought, all right, you know, we're going to run into one. What, how are we going to handle this? And yeah, luckily we didn't though. That was, that was uh God looking down and, and helping us out there. But man, yeah. Was... I think if it's one of those deals. If you were solo and packing out in the dark and not making barely any noise, you know, I'd be a way more scared than, a couple, two, three guys packing out. And if you're just having a conversation, like that bear is going to hear you, you know, from a long ways away and haul ass out of there. Like they, they don't want to interact with you. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And that's honestly what we did. Corey and I just, he honestly, he put some music on for like the first part of it. And cause we're the half, the second half actually, just cause we were tired of talking to each other, just really didn't have much energy, but still keeping like that noise levels up. Um, but then when, when we kind of got into the brushy parts, we, we did just kind of keep it a little silent to just kind of keep our ears and eyes peeled. Um, but yeah, at, at the end it was like, uh, you know, we saw, we saw some older tracks, but we didn't have any, we didn't see anything. So that was good. Mark, I did just go back and, uh, write up what I learned in case okay. you were wanting to still we'll come back to the podcast. Let's hear it. You're welcome. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so the glassing part, I know I mentioned, um, I think Corey Ford and I really did that whole, whole lot. Just, we sat down and glass and glass and glass and like he had, he didn't bring a spotter, but I think he had three, I know for sure, two pairs of binos. Um, and so we were always just kind of switching back and forth from that. So that was just obviously, um, you know, you hear it all the time to glass a bunch, but it really, uh, it just reminded you that sitting behind glass really helps. And it does a lot of the walking for you. Um, and the way I hunted with Jason, right. Um, we actually hunted on a, a snowy, super, a super snowy day. Uh, but I did pick his brain a lot, just about deer hunting in general and you know, how that could apply for black tail deer and just watching. And so he basically, um, mentioned, watching those deer. So you find a group of deer and watching them and just seeing how they interact and where they are. You can typically just end up finding them, you know, in those similar places doing the same exact thing. And that's how you can end up finding more, more and more deer. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting and and that, how that could apply for not only just, you know, where we were hunting blacktail deer, but, um, you know, for here in Idaho or Colorado, uh, you name it. Um, and then, so from you, I've, I've, or for uh-oh. Mark, uh-oh. uh, unfortunately I didn't get a hunt with Steve, but so we'll have to, I'll have to come back here next time I hunt with Steve and I'll have to learn some stuff from him. But from Mark, it was, I think it was just like the, kind of the intensity of hunting and just the ability to just keep, keep on pushing and just looking at the, the next ridge and just, um, you know, how am I trying to say this? basically just not getting drug you up the mountain the first yeah, the day, first day I was, to say. Okay, yeah i get it <laughs> yeah exactly but no in a very smart uh way of not being just you know bust and brush and not looking ahead of you but at the same time keep applying some of that pressure and just looking at every single little pocket uh and kind of where those deer are moving around and then ended up you know you spotted one and we ended up shooting it just so we did that and then um, you and Jeff, I learned the art of still hunting when you shot your buck on the last day. Cause I don't think I really still hunted at all. Um, 
until yeah, we shot your buck on Friday. And I just, yeah, I mean, if you're in that country uh, situation where still hunting is applicable, God, it, it works, you know? Uh, and especially when the, the mule deer or sorry, the black tail are, are moving around, um, you can definitely apply that to mule deer kind of when they're in their rut and you can just still hunt your way through and, and be able to just walk up on one. I mean, your buck was just kind of feeding nose to the ground and we just ended up, you know, coming across him and you, you know, putting, putting the bullet in him and yeah, it worked. So, um, quite a few things that you can definitely pick up from, from this Alaska trip for sure. Yeah. That's good stuff. One of the things that honestly, um, sticks out in my mind and it wasn't a first, but it is something that I've learned from hunting with other people in the last handful of years, uh, is honestly Jake, how we ended up spotting and then shooting your buck. I think, you know, we talked about in the prior store, we had kind of taken a break, we were eating and we knew what direction we were going to keep moving. Um, but that decision to be like, Hey, before we leave, let me make the little bit of effort required, which wasn't much to go, you know, 40 yards and see a different direction before we just leave. Um, I'm so prone to get like tunnel vision. And I think if it was me five years ago, I would have just been like, we knew where that buck went. Let's go that direction. And I wouldn't have taken the extra time to go, you know, basically do a full 360 of the area um, as much as possible before we just headed in the direction that we wanted to go. And that's ultimately what ended up, you know, we spotted your buck and shot it. Um, So that's something that sticks out to me because I've certainly learned that just from hunting with other guys and seeing them do that of like, let's just, before we leave, let's do this. Right. Or even Steve, like um, a good example of that too, that's similar is when we were on our elk hunt this year, um, I had shot my bull that morning. We made that big push um, to go and we were on that or trying to get on an elk that we saw. And we were sitting and glassing together and you're like, Hey, why don't you go 30 yards that way down there? And we'll just have a little bit different vantage point. And as soon as I did that, it was like, Oh, boom, there's an elk. And so with, when you're hunting with guys, it's, you know, do that little bit of separation just to get a little bit, a little bit different perspective. Um, or if you're moving an area, but you can, you know, even go a hundred yards and get a different perspective before you leave the area you're in take the time to do that before you just start putting your head down and hiking. Um, those little things can make a big difference. And I feel like I've learned that, you know, in the last handful of years, just from being with others. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we basically covered that whole hillside, the whole, not the whole day, but that first morning, just kind of covering that left side and mm-hmm. then, you know, went, uh, and crested over the right side, spotted the buck. And it's like, we could have just called it and been like, no, we've already been on the left side. We know there's nothing there. Yeah. Sure as heck. You know, he just went back and boom, there they were moving around. So just that little effort. There's a question on what were the daylight hours on our hunt? Um, we actually, what our first full day there was the day after daylight savings time. Um, Oh yeah, that was but the essentially because we got to sleep in. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> we got the extra hour. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, what was it, Steve? I, th- I feel like light was around eight or eight thirty, and then I know we were pretty much wanting to be back to the shore by five or five thirty. Um, so call it eight to five, roughly. It was right in there, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. See, so, yeah, I mean, it's good. It, it's um, a good amount of time to 
get a decent day of hunting in, but then you don't have to be up at three in the morning either trying to race daylight. So it was a good combination of a good day of hunting, but at the same time, getting back at a decent time in the night, having time to hang out, reorganize gear, take care of meat, um, and then not having to get up too crazy early. So it was pretty great. Um, and then I think, as we mentioned in the prior show, you have till five, but really most of the deer were getting killed early in the morning or midday. Um, I think my first buck I shot was one of the later ones that probably, I want to say, was it 2 PM somewhere right in there? Um, and then, you know, we purposely knew, all right, we need to be back by the beach by five. So let's get down to it. You know, you just plan that time, um, accordingly in your day and keep that in mind of your perfect example, Jake, (laughs) of if we shoot something now, are we going to get back in time and depend on how your hunt is working logistically, that may or may not be an issue, but, um, yeah, the daylight hours were, were nice for sure. Absolutely. Um, so there was pretty open-ended question on just gear we used on this trip and what did or did not work well. Um, this trip's pretty unique. I feel for me, you know, I'm usually in the backpacking mindset and this, since we were staying at the lodge is totally different. So you take shelter and sleep system out of the equation and you take a lot of the just in case type things out of the equation to a certain extent. Cause you know, you're not back here like in the back country for five days, but it's like, Oh, I'll be back tonight. So the bigger variable is it still is Alaska. You could still have weather. Uh, in our case, it was cold and snowy. Um, but yeah, hit on, I guess, anything that's kind of a standout, um, Jake, with it being your first time, what comes to mind for you that this story wasn't gear unique to this trip, but was definitely important on this trip. Well, yeah, I definitely will say probably the one thing that does stand out that is gear unique for this, um, you know, for that hunt. And then I'll probably, you know, maybe implement it in other hunts here in Idaho, but I, I, I went on Amazon and found, you know, these $25 pair of gloves, um, like those rubber gloves, um, that I was using. <laughs> the only crappy thing is they're blue of all colors. And so it's just funny looking at back at photos of me just wearing these, you know, fish market gloves. <laughs> but other than that, like, so they're insulated, they have like that fleece liner and hundred percent waterproof. Um, and that kept my hands warm the whole trip. And I use that also for, you know, busting through brush and not having to worry about, you know, them uh getting hurt or whatever or, or getting broken down like i could care less if i ripped them up by the end of the trip and sure as heck they you know they held up and i'm still going to use them but so that was definitely one and we can definitely put that like in the show notes or whatever because i definitely would recommend those pair of gloves and uh um nolan and rafe the uh two other guides um they use those gloves for like their fishing uh part of it like, like when they're on the boat um so I, I've definitely felt pretty cool having the same gloves as them. <laughs> You're like, my <laughs> choice has been validated. Yeah. I did something <laughs> right. Um, other than that, yeah, just warm, warm weather, uh, clothes, like definitely stay warm. I mean, we were there when it was pretty chilly. Uh, I do say that gators, um, were, were a must. And then I'm trying to think, you know, it really, really all depends on kind of how your body works. I know everybody's different, like between the three of us, some get hot, some get cold. Um, I really liked the, um, the, the quick stick shooting. Oh yeah. That was totally random. I just squirrel moment, but the quick sticks were just a definite must. Like those helped me shoot both my bucks. So that was good. But back to gear, um, the catalyst foundry pants from first light was great. 
you know, with the hip vents, I know those are a little bit warmer for a lot of guys. For me, I just tend to stay cool or I, I tend to just not warm up really that fast. Um, so having like that fleece liner pant, but then being able to dump some heat was, was great. So those are probably the three, uh, important pieces of gear for me. I like it. How about for you, Steve? I mean, we had gear pretty dialed being the second trip, right? Um, yeah. like Jake talked about gloves were, they're just important because you're just wearing them so frequently. Uh, I had a pair of mechanics gloves that I bought. Um, I think I had them on my sheep hunt this year and, and really, really liked them. They worked great. Uh, not waterproof at all, but it wasn't too big of a deal. Cause just, just because you'd be able to dry them out every night. Um, other than that, the one I didn't bring it, but I was the first day Cody shot a buck off of his tripod. Um, say 460 70 yard shot or something like that uphill and that was the first time i'd seen that done in the field and that was um i think i had some uh, hesitancy just like ah that's i'm never gonna have time to like set that up right like that's you know the quick sticks are are awesome and quick and fast and uh the tripod distance seem viable but after seeing it done it's like okay absolutely want to make sure that at least is an option right like i think getting a good stable shot um up in the mountains is tough to do and the more tools you have at your disposal uh is pretty cool so that'll be one thing that i add and make a change to my gear for next year i think is being able to make sure that uh that, you know there's something on my stock that can clamp to a tripod so you can mount that sucker up and because he was able to make that uphill shot i just i don't see a scenario in which i would have been able to make that shot it'd have been much tougher off the quick sticks in that setting so would you, are you considering packing a tripod for shooting when you're not already packing a tripod for glassing? No, I'd probably just stick with my quick sticks. Okay. Cause um, that's kind of where I'm at too. Like yeah, the, yeah. I, I think it's great to have an option where if you're carrying a tripod for glassing, you should, I don't want to say should like tell people what to do, but you should consider ensuring that your rifle can also mount to that tripod in some sort of way so that the tripod becomes a tool for glassing and shooting. I'm just personally not at the point yet or haven't been on a hunt yet where I would carry a tripod specifically for shooting if I'm not carrying it for glassing, right? Because that's an extra, that's a decent chunk of weight. So if it's dual purpose, 100%, I was actually talking with the guy yesterday, um, you know, like the bear hunt I did, we did last spring, for example, um, you know, I was running a Davros head on a tripod and it was like, Oh, I could tripod mount binos and I could quickly rip my binos off and drop the rifle on there. Something like that's a great setup. Or if you're using more of a standard, um, tripod head, getting an Arca rail on your rifle, that's a great setup. I'm just not set on carrying a tripod just for shooting at this point. Yeah, I could, uh, I just need to shoot with it. You know, just do like we did this summer. I practiced all summer shooting off those quick sticks and know how to set them up quickly and, and i can make a lot of shots um in different you know different terrain settings uphill downhill stuff like that but uh yeah i'll just need to practice with it next summer i guess and that maybe that sways my mind um but uh just yeah again uh, having that one more piece to add to the to your arsenal of being able to get a stable shooting position uh it's like yeah if you're packing a tripod anyways it's a no-brainer uh, yeah um one other thing that worked good didn't have to use it all thankfully is the ivory holsters like I, in hindsight it was just such a pistol is strapped to my waist belt and it's there but it's 
just out of the way, holds the pistol secure. Like I <laughs> said, didn't use it at all, but it was one of those things like it didn't bother me for one second that that thing was on my hip belt that whole week and not once to have an issue of the gun slipping out or anything like that. Those things are just so stinking money. Yeah. So technically we didn't use the pistol, but we used the holster and the holster was money is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, <laughs> right. I didn't have to use the getting my pistol out of it. Right. Yeah. No, but I mean, I did. For how many? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I said I did practice multiple times, right? Like, uh, what does that look like of you know, hiking through there? And all of a sudden there's a bear and, you know, get the holster out and, and pretend to shot real quick. Just, just so it's not, you know, somewhat repetitive when the actual situation does happen. And it, it's just very easy to get it out of there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to say for how many times, like I slipped in the snow or whatever, and just knowing that my, you know, barrel of my pistol is not going to get, you know, gunked up or whatever. Like that was hundred percent money that they're definitely a, a really good piece of gear. Yeah. 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 That's a good point, Jake, on your pistol not getting gunked up. But I would say the same thing about rifle because this trip was so snowy in our case. I was really glad to have a rifle. Um, you know, I just didn't have to worry too much about moisture. And so, you know, it comes up of like, is stainless really worth it? Um, and if you're considering Alaska, I just say just 100%, like get a stainless action. Um, it's just like whether it's, rain snow whatever the chances of dealing with some sort of rust uh is real especially on a trip like this um unfortunately i dropped my rifle in the snow quite a few times um and just at the same time not only that going into the equipment selection but um just ensuring that you're paying attention to um you know the times i did drop my rifle i was really careful to um remove my bolt usually and try and get that clean or at least cycle it and get any snow or debris out of it. Um, just to ensure it wasn't going to freeze up on me or bind, um, in any way. So little things like that are definitely something I noticed more and more on this trip, just because of the conditions. Yeah, absolutely. I got one more piece. Oh, go ahead. Um, I said everything, just being the second trip, it was just a lot less, unknown variables. I mean, it, it's, it's really simple. Everyone, you know, I think everyone was, I was kind of helping everyone out with their gear who was their first trip. And I was like, man, it's just day hunting stuff. And, um, you can't, you p- can't pack too many clothes cause it's could be very wet and very cold. Um, I like, I'm being a, what for whatever reason, didn't pack puffy pants and wished I had cause everyone who had them, I was jealous of, um, I don't think so, man. Uh, the, the swirl EL range TAs continue to be amazing. I use those all year. I've talked about it already on the podcast. Those are just amazing binoculars that how I will say, I forget about this. The, um, on the binocular thing, Cody was packing those SIG image stabilizing binos, the 1642s, man, those are like one, that technology, I, I mean, I, I don't know if it's a year out or five years out, but when that becomes, more refined that's that's just yeah i don't even know what to say that's unbelievable so um that buck cody shot you know i pull up the binos there's a doe clear as day stand in the middle of it um don't see anything else around it he pulls up the binos and there's a buck right behind her and i'm like i just couldn't see it it was just blended in perfectly into the hillside uh and he and sure enough he handed me the binos and it's just you know I can just see it standing there. I was like, holy crap, like these things are amazing for that. So 
yeah, I don't know. If I don't think they're there yet, but I think they're in the process of, you know, um, some someday that technology is going to be truly incredible. It's, I mean, it's just you're hand-holding basically binoculars on a tripod at any given time, right? Which is like, yeah, pretty awesome. Yeah. What were we going to say, Jake, before I cut you off? Oh, no worries. Um, as, as simple and dumb as it sounds, I was so jealous of all the guys who brought like a, a hydro flask and a jet boil and heated up some like hot chocolate or uh, hot cider. <laughs> I'm serious. That was something. If I ever get to go on this trip again, or if I ever do something like that again, where it's similar, like that was, I, <laughs> you don't understand how jealous I was when I saw somebody pull out an insulated mug already just filled up with some, you know, hot drink. And it was like, Oh man, I could crush that right now. So I, I definitely think that's something to be noted and something to bring if uh, somebody does go on that trip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. If there's um, any huge standouts for me. Gloves were definitely important. And we've talked about that clothing. We've talked about that. The rifle stuff I mentioned um, to go along with the rifle is making sure that barrel is taped. Um, it's going to be really important, even if it's not, in our case, snowy or wet, but just for all the brush and debris up there as well. Um, so that's a basic one, just to make sure and always really do on any hunt, no matter what. Um, yeah, I don't know that there's like a massive standout. As you said, uh, Steve, earlier, um, packing out meats and, you know, this is like somewhat of a unique scenario, but still could apply to other contexts of when the weather allows it and there's a need for it using some sort of liner uh, to help keep the pack clean um there's no issue getting our packs plenty bloody and having that clean up well but if you're on a hunt where multiple days of hunting are going to continue to happen after you fill a tag um it's just worth some precaution when the conditions allow it to try and do that um you know we even did the same thing going back to our uh, elk hunt this past fall steve of knowing all right, we're packing meat now, but we're going to keep hunting and more meat to pack later. It's let's try and keep the pack clean because the hunt's not over. Um, so little things like that. Um, yeah, is what comes to mind for sure. Micro spikes could be handy. Um, we were <laughs> in some spots darn near snowshoe level being helpful, but that's pretty abnormal um, for Kodiak. But micro spikes could be something really good. I use those even on the prior trip. It wasn't snowy, but there was some wet brushy like steep downhill and packing out that's real slippery um and used them then even on that prior trip so that's something to note as well um anything else that comes to mind doesn't have to be gear specific guys but just about this trip and to hit on i just go do it just go <laughs> that's, do my, it. that's my advice it's uh i mean i've said it 25 times on the podcast since we've done that trip but if you know, I wouldn't be my first Western hunt, but if you've gone out to Colorado or Idaho, Wyoming, whatever, and you got a few Western hunts under your belt, haven't been able to like fill that tag, or maybe you filled one, but have gone two years on a drought, just going, it's such a target rich environment to go up there, notch that many tags, get experience, cutting up an animal, um, get, you know, to me, the biggest thing is just getting experience with that heat of the moment, um, target panic, buck fever, right? Like, um, pulling the trigger, making a good shot, like just the confidence that that builds. I mean, if you're a, you know, you can almost get three years of hunting experience if you know, killing three deer in a week. Um, and you can you know, wrap that all up in a week. It's, it's just, I don't know. It's tough to replace, man. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm glad you said tags to fill too. We didn't have the question on how many tags uh, we purchased for this hunt. Um, everyone purchased two, except for one of the guys, Corey, ended up purchasing three. So three is the max. Um, they're essentially 300 bucks a piece. Um, so yeah, and then there was a question as well. And I think this applies to the boat hunts, which is a good question. But the guy also asked, if you didn't purchase the max number of deer tags prior, could you purchase additional tags from the captain? Um, again, he's saying captain, I think that's for a boat based hunt. I do believe that that's possible yes. sometimes. I don't know if every guy on the boat can do that, but the, whoever the transport is, would just have to have the, I don't know if it's a, you know, a license, a permit or whatever to be sit to sell tax. Um, some of them do some don't Jerry does not, um, you got internet there so you can buy some of the stuff that you don't have to have, um, you know, physical metal locking tag or anything like that. Like you could jump on there and buy your salmon, you know, stamp and things like that. Cause that's just something you can print off. Um, but yeah, anything that's like something that you have to be sent in the mail, you're pretty much got to bring that with you. Yeah. And then there was a question on what kind of total budget is required for Kodiak hunt for a couple of guys that circles back all the way to the beginning based on when you go and what you're doing logistically. So if you're flying in, uh, to a high alpine lake and getting dropped off. If you're going later and hunting from a lodge or doing the boat based, the cheapest is going to be the DIY option to get up to Kodiak, have a charter flight, get dropped off at a lake, um, and then do that hunt on your own. I think you could do that hunt for a few grand a guy. Um, commercial flights to Kodiak are not bad. You're in 300 bucks uh, per deer, depending on how many tags you want to buy. Then you have the charter flights. Those are your big costs for that style of hunt. Um, assuming that you already have some decent gear, right? For being at a camp, add on a rental for a bear fence for that type of hunt, which isn't significant. Obviously the costs go up when you're doing a lodge-based hunt because you're looking at lodging and transport and food and all that good stuff. So if you want to go DIY um, and on a budget, I think you could do the whole trip for probably about three grand. I think some guys have even done it cheaper. I just don't want to uh, ignore costs that uh, come up as well. One of those being uh, something else I skipped over. How do we get meat back? So that's always something to consider clearly. Um, we've said this when talking about other Alaska hunts, especially in Alaska, they're so used to guys flying with meat, whether that's hunters with big game, fishermen, you know, all throughout the summer, essentially you can just check that on Alaska airlines. Um, and you just have to count the costs there. It basically becomes, you know, depending on if you have the airline card or not, you may get a first bag or two free. Let's say you don't, I think the first bag was 30 bucks. The second checked item was 50 or 60 maybe. And then after that, it basically jumps to like, I think a hundred bucks per item. Mm -hmm. Does that sound right guys? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you figure I'm going to have a checked item of gear, I'm going to have another checked item of my weapon. Those are your first two call it cheaper ones. So just automatically considering now every checked item, if I want to go and fly home with meat is going to be a hundred bucks. We used, um, boxes that could basically hold 50 pounds. So you're basically paying two bucks a pound, um, to fly at home with you. 
Um, there's other ways to do it. We've talked before about Alaska air cargo, you know, there's more logistics to that, but if you're going on your own and just want to fly home with it, that's essentially what you're looking at, um, is flying home for a hundred bucks, roughly for 50 pounds. The thing to consider is if you're doing, especially that earlier hunt, that DIY hunt, talking through maybe with your charter flight or some other transporter of when and where and how am I actually packaging that meat? So if you're doing the DIY hunt at a lake and then flying back into Kodiak, you need to consider uh, how am I cooling that meat? How am I getting the boxes? When am I going to trim it or debone it? That type of thing. It was much easier for us staying at Foxtail Lodge because all that was essentially there for us. We were able to either debone or package the meat how we wanted to the boxes were there the liners were there and so we're the freezers were there so we're taking boxed up frozen meat and just going and getting on a plane and flying home and pulling boxed up frozen meat off the plane that night so it was pretty great yeah yeah i would say you'd probably want to talk to your transport service about um yeah let's say say you went to kodiak and island air is a, is a popular uh uh, transport service and you, you hired them to fly you into a lake. I don't know. You know just maybe ask them if like, Hey, do you know somewhere I could cut up the meat when I get back out? Uh, I believe they have a walk-in freezer. The first time we went there, we stayed in a hotel in Kodiak. And I think all the hotels there used to so many fishermen that they had a freezer. So you could definitely get a, there's a really good chance you're be able to get that meat frozen before you throw it on the plane. Um, I think that the one thing that I've heard about is, an issue with like a week long hunt early in August, say you kill a buck on day one. I've heard of guys, I think flying in coolers, uh, maybe with, I don't know what they're using for ice in those coolers to that's going to stay for that week. Um, but I've, I've heard that's an issue that you might want to address. Yeah. That obviously, um, think of that in the context of early season meat care. Some guys are going to do like the citric acid type stuff. So that's a, kind of a deeper, whole different topic. Actually, if you go back way back in our podcast archive, (laughs) um, there's an episode titled something very close to save your meat from the heat or something to that effect. If you go to exomountgear.com forward slash podcast and search uh, those terms or something very similar, it should pop up. Um, But that'd be a good one to go back to because uh, we talked about those topics. I honestly forget who the guest was, but it was very informative. And now I want to go back and listen to that probably four-year-old podcast at this point. (laughs) Um, But yeah, think through that again, based on the time of the year. All right, guys, I think that answers most of the questions. Um, So thanks as always for sending those in. If you have any questions in the future for the podcast, whether it's about Kodiak or something else entirely, go ahead and send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. And otherwise, we'll talk to you soon.